What's going on, podcasting world? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast, episode 96. 96. 96. Slowly but surely. Cole's back with us today. Yes. So uh, we unfortunately had to have him miss the last episode, but I'm glad to have him back now. I had to sit out on the marijuana podcast. Yeah, he was hmm, <laughs> skeptical um, what he was maybe doing, but uh, no, we're just kidding. We told you, uh, we told the viewers or listeners rather, you were out with family and stuff. So right. I, getting, I didn't call you out on this one. Was Same. I or was I working? I don't know. Is it That's all I do is work with family. Remember, I, I learned my lesson from, you know, questioning oh, yeah. your commitments. <laughs> my my motives and my commitment to the podcast. Uh, that was funny. Yeah. Um, People were sending me so much hate mail. I was getting death threats. Did you know that? <laughs> For everyone listening, that is super not true. <laughs> Zero death threats have ever been issued. Oh, dude. Dude. How long has it been since our coronavirus podcast? Was it um, beginning of February? Something like that. Can you believe what has happened since then? Yeah. I actually, so... <laughs> I've been telling people at my clinic and whatnot that I'm like, I'm, if any of us get it, I feel like it's going to be me first because I talk so like lightly about it on the podcast. <laughs> Some would say maybe made fun of it. <laughs> we kind of did. And I feel like, yeah, that's just going to be karma now. And I got to cash in on that. Listen, uh, posterity, or I should say the future will show that at that time, it wasn't that big. Of a deal. Right. Especially here. There were literally 11 cases when mm-hmm. we recorded that podcast yeah. in America. So, so obviously things change. So, yeah. Whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh man. They just, uh, yeah, I was telling you, but Friday when they declared the national emergency, the pharmacy just blew up. And then today they closed all the, they announced that they were closing all the schools in South Carolina. So needless to say, I've just never seen lines that long at our store. Maybe, you know, other than hurricane season, it's pretty yeah. much the only thing. It's crazy. That's rough. My wife said the same thing. It was just nuts. Yeah. And people are now people are rushing and asking for flu shots oh, and yeah. all that stuff. Flu and shots, money shots, just any shot. Yeah. They're like, is there anything I can get? I'm like, I mean, there's things you can get. Is it going to help you? No. <laughs> Ish. Maybe <laughs> I mean, not. You won't, might not get the flu. Be great. So we, we're going to need, I think we need to do a follow-up episode at some point. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking a couple of things. We're going to talk. This is our meeting. We're having it on the air. Yeah, um, so I actually, I haven't told you this, but I actually got a, an email from a student down in West Palm Beach, Florida, um, who sent me like a phenomenal review of all the different ongoing clinical trials right now and all the different uh, medications and things that they're testing, all yeah. the different treatment options, whether it's combos or new drugs or whatever that they're testing. Send me a link to that. And then I found out, you remember Patrick Key? Um, Petra. He, Patrick. Oh, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Patrick. Um, he's, uh, he's at the VA doing his PGY2 mm-hmm. in psych. Um, somehow he's like the lead on the, on the VA's like task force for like COVID-19. COVID-19. <laughs> really? And he sent me this thing and he was like, what the heck is happening? Like, why am I the lead on that? And so he, he's got a bunch of the newest research too. So maybe we need to like try to get both of them on here. And- nice. Did you see Plaquenil on that list of mm-hmm. drugs? Yeah. I saw that. How yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Couple, there's a couple malaria drugs on there, um, really? and then along with some other stuff. It was interesting. It's interesting. I'd like to see why. Yeah. Um, they. I'll show you the list. It's like seven pages long. I'm still sure. waiting to hear back from her to see if it's cool if I share it and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's uh, cool. Yeah. something that's interesting. We'll do a follow. Maybe after the dust settles a little bit. Or do you just want to do it right in the midst right in the of mid, the fray? Just to show that we're, and Then we'll do one after the dust settles. Yeah, I was like, oh, geez. Yeah. Because so, there's lots of dust up. That's yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, but that's not what we're talking about today, even though nope. it sounded just like we were about to talk about that. It did. Um, we're actually going to cover a topic we meant to do a while ago, but kind of put it in the back burner. So we're coming back to it. Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Vertigo and dizziness. Not not what you want your patient complaining about. Um, 
it's one of those things that I think, especially we're going to do our best to kind of go through some of the you know background and all that. But obviously from, from a farm D standpoint, you know, the medication stuff's fairly straightforward as far right. as treating the symptoms, the workup and all the stuff that the, you know, the specialists go through super not our wheelhouse. Right. So I'm putting that disclaimer out there now because we're going to kind of give a little bit of background to the best of our abilities. But if you're like an ENT specialist or neurologist and you're like, what are these morons talking <laughs> about? Just a couple of guys out here doing their best. That's right. <laughs> all we do. Yeah. Med wise. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, pretty much whatever you would think of, um, for vertigo or dizziness is what is on the list. So it's mainly when's the most appropriate time to use them and when is an inappropriate time to use them and then risk versus benefit for elderly patients. But we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. So to get started, like, and I know you call, you've done a lot of the background stuff, but I do want to kind of touch on something real quick that um, I'll do the best I can, you know, audio and not without having a visual um, guy, maybe we'll throw up in the, the video version, but um, talking about the vestibular system. So we were actually kind of discussing this before uh, the, we started recording because it's kind of crazy how like this whole process has worked. But and we're not going to go through everything, but just for those of you who you know have had an anatomy class or physiology class, but haven't actually looked back on it in a while, you guys have all seen like the the cartoon drawing of the like the inner ear canal and like the you know the cochlea and all that. Um, but you see those those three semicircular canals, you know, that were kind of um, on all those images. You know, unless you've actually kind of looked at that and kind of looked at some of the pathophysiology of vertigo, you may not have actually kind of looked through how those actually work. Um, and that's something that, you know, is, was pretty interesting to me. I think that that's just a fascinating kind of physiology behind it. But basically, um, to give you the very short gist, um, each kind of the semicircular canal is kind of at a right angle to the other two. Um, so it's almost like the way that um, there's a Medscape article that, record, that kind of refers to as like the three sides of a box meet at each corner. Um, and so they kind of have each one is in a, a certain plane that kind of is sensitive to certain rotations. Um, and there's a rotation that lies in that particular plane of the canal. And so they kind of send signals um, through uh, to the brain. That, and basically there's this fluid in there um, that is able to kind of as it kind of fluctuates back and forth, it's the signals are sent to the brain and it tells the brain which position the head is actually in. Um, and you know, even if it's like an arbitrary, like kind of rotation, it can kind of figure out where it's at and keep everything, um, feeling normal. Um, now when those, that system gets messed up, that's when you can start having some of these symptoms, um, or at least that's one pathophysiology part of it. But those, uh, three semicircular canals and that kind of that whole, uh, anatomy physiology component of it is kind of fascinating to me. So I'll definitely, I'm going to post a video up from, um, a group called what was her name um zero to finals i don't i'm not really sure who runs that or anything but they have a really good like animated like nine minute video i'll post a link to that but it's it's pretty good yeah no it's um super fascinating and the pathophys is very interesting and like you was saying plays a big part the fluid is important because when things get in there that aren't supposed to be causes symptoms uh, if you have pressure changes, so we'll frequently reference pressure changes, but like where is that actually happening? If you have pressure changes in the inner ear, uh, it can be caused by certain diseases, can cause um, issues as well. And then the vestibular nerve that's attaching to those, uh, if it is disrupted or inflamed, another way that you can have symptoms. So we'll go through those. Yeah. Um, but like I said, dizziness and vertigo are not the symptoms that you want to have your patient complain about. Uh, but it is among some of the most common symptoms that patients do complain about, as common as like back pain or headaches. 
Um, the big concern is, of course, um, twofold. Mainly, it's in the elderly and the risk for falls. So that's usually what you're concerned with. Um, in the younger population, it's more of an annoyance and uh, quality of life type of situation. So falling can be a direct consequence of dizziness, um, especially in the elderly. The risk is compounded if they have other neurologic deficits um, or other chronic medical problems. Their risk is going to go up. Overall, the incidence of uh, dizziness, vertigo, and imbalance is 5 to 10% in the general population. And for patients over 40, it goes up to about 40%, which is very significant. Um, the risk for falling in patients, there was a couple kind of epidemiologic studies I was looking at. Um, so the incidence for falling in patients over 65 years old is about 25% if they have dizziness or vertigo. Uh, there was one report from 1995 to 2004 looking at U.S. emergency departments. Um, and dizziness and vertigo accounted for about 2.5% of all patients that presented to the ED. Uh, in 2011, it was estimated uh, that U.S. ED visits for dizziness or vertigo was about 3.9 million people. Uh, there was one Swedish um, study, kind of like a Beers criteria study for us, but it was the Swedish National Study on Aging and Care, found that patients under 80 years old have had a prevalence of falling of about 16%, and the, that dizziness was 17% uh, in those patients. For over 80 years old, the fall risk increased to 31%, dizziness increased to uh, 31% as well. So definitely more significant as you get older, and uh, we know what falling can mean for an elderly patient, especially if they have osteoporosis and um, have a break, and what that means for increased risk of mortality. So that's why we uh, look into this. So, um, Cole, how, I, I know you've obviously talked to your wife about this topic before. How, how much of this does she actually deal with like on a daily basis, as she said? Is this something that they come into a neurology clinic often about? Or are they going to ENT? Or? I mean, usually this starts at the primary care mm-hmm. level, right? You're going to go to your doctor and say, hey, um, I'm just feeling kind of dizzy. And he's like, oh, gosh, it's like saying you're fatigued, right? And all the, the workup that you can go do from there. Um, so she works mostly with memory patients now, so she definitely does see it. And mm-hmm. so dizziness and vertigo and patients with dementia is high risk because, you know, a fall is higher risk. But usually it's going to start at the primary care level. And a lot of times it can be handled there. Um, but there are situations, and we'll kind of go through those, where you would want to refer to um, a specialist. But for the most part, you want to try to handle it at the primary care level if you can. Um, but you need to suss out the cause, what the cause may be. So the most common causes um, of peripheral vertigo, so there's peripheral vertigo, there's also uh, central vertigo, and that kind of, you know, determining uh, the difference between those is important because it'll determine what you do to treat it. Um, But peripheral vertigo, most common causes are BPPV, uh, which is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. Um, So kind of thinking back to the... um, vestibular system and the fluid, this can occur because you get um, basically uh, crystallized formations that go into the fluid that aren't supposed to be there, and it causes symptoms. So um, hallmarks of that are uh, it's caused by positional changes because if you're sitting still, you're not activating that vestibular process, and so you're not going to feel symptoms. Uh, But with positional changes, it's not functioning correctly, and so you're going to have those symptoms that can last for about a minute. Uh, but that's hallmarks of, um, of BPPV. There's also Meniere disease. Um, the difference between that and BPPV as far as um, symptom presentation is that it's not going to be related to position changes. It can just happen. Um, it can happen um, just 
with aging and is usually associated with, I think it was hearing loss. Um, it's yeah. kind of a, an inner ear disease. As it goes on, hearing loss as well as tinnitus, um, the vertigo is part of it. But yeah, it can cause some longer term damage as stuff goes on. It's that um, excessive endolymph buildup causes that right. pressure. And so it's more of a damaging long-term thing. Increased pressure uh, with that fluid. The last one is vestibular neuronitis, which is uh, inflammation or disruption of the vestibular nerve. And you can also get symptoms from that. So those are all examples of peripheral vertigo. And going back to the first one that uh, Cole was talking about, the benign proxismal positional vertigo, uh, that's one that a lot of, depending on which reference you're looking at, says is typically the most common um, cause of, of vertigo. And the crystals that he was talking about, the, the basically calcium carbonate um, crystals, the, the, they call them otoconia. And, you know, that whole system of the fluid the endolymph being kind of like positioned in uh, and kind of signaling through those semicircular canals those crystals because of the they're in the lymph they they travel and they throw off the system so it basically tricks your brain into thinking your head's in a different plane if you will than than it actually is and so those crystals kind of like flopping around in the water basically um in in sending those signals is what is what triggers it. it's it's kind of fascinating that something such a tiny little thing can throw off your entire system um i don't know i'm just fascinated by that no i mean, what's fascinating is that the system works so specifically and it's so small and you know it seems like it'd be way easier for that to whack up but something you take for granted right and i mean you know we can get dizziness from spinning around with a bat on our forehead but Something we do frequently, right? You know, we do it for every podcast. It's our, we Keep, should, keeps us going in the right direction. Do you imagine if we had a guest on and we started doing that? And they were just like, "What are you doing? This is our ritual. We have to spin around six times before we start. Mm-hmm. Clears our head." Yeah. Um, the end of guests, but <laughs> but uh, you said something interesting, kind of when you're talking about going to the primary care doctor and saying uh, patients will say, come in and say I'm dizzy. So one of the things that is kind of recommended when you're doing the workup initially and kind of getting a, a history of the symptoms and all that is to ask the patient to describe the symptoms without using the word dizzy. Um, cause I think that's a very common, I mean, I would say that myself like mm-hmm. if I was describing yeah. to somebody. So, um, that's a good kind of like first step and then kind of see where it goes from there. You know, asking them if it's a feeling of actually being like pushed down or pushed to one side, like, um, they can refer to that as pulsion. Um, push to one side or the other, asking them if it's something to do with, you know, some sort of an anxiety episode, um, you know, because that can actually present itself to the patient as dizziness, but it's actually stemming from the anxiety. Right. Um, you know, is it something that happens continuously or episodic, like Cole was talking about with Meniere's versus, um, you know, others? It's one of those things. Is it coming and going? Is it lasting a long time? And, you know, getting a very thorough history, obviously for the on the pharmacology side of things, that's not really what we're on, we're doing. But for the interprofessional collaboration, you know, your provider's side is going to be getting all this information, and it's also going to help you kind of make a better pharmacotherapy recommendation if needed. Right. Um, in that aspect too. Yeah, dizziness is just very non-specific. So, mm-hmm. um, diz- like you mentioned, some examples, some other examples people might use dizziness to describe was obviously vertigo, but also unsteadiness. Generalized weakness, syncope or pre-syncope, even falling. Uh, they might have had a fall, and they might just say, well, I was dizzy, you know, and you might not even realize. Um, but, yeah, history is very important. Um, it should include a complete neuro-otologic physical exam, including vestib- vestibular examination. So for those of you medical professionals who know how to do that, right on, because <laughs> pharmacists don't do that. Um, but, yeah, uh, it should focus on the nature of the symptoms, duration, what triggers it, what helps it. Um, 
and yeah, just try to avoid the use of the word dizzy. Dizziness um, might be lightheadedness, motion intolerance, um, feeling a floating, a tilting sensation, um, where you know vertigo is more of a subtype of of dizziness, and um, it's kind of an illusion of movement um, caused by asymmetric input to the vestibular system, like we said, uh, and that you know different from other types of dizziness. And also, you know, looking at the medication list is something also too that it would be on the farm pharmacist end. We would be looking at if there's any medications that could either cause some form of ototoxicity, you know, things like aminoglycoside exposure, um, you know, things like uh, antineoplastic drugs, anything like that, like cisplatin, um, anything that can potentially cause that, or even something as simple as antihypertensives, like where they just started you know, on a, on doxazosin for hypertension because their provider doesn't want to do the right medications for, <laughs> for hypertension, you know, something like that. I mean, it, it can be something as simple as, um, you know, that or, you know, just making sure you're doing a, a medication reconciliation to figure out what is going on. Yep. And um, along with the physical exam, um, you want to look at supine versus standing blood pressure measurements, um, something that can... Um, affect you know if they have orthostasis and they're trying to stand they can definitely get dizzy um, also looking at the vestibular reflexes like the uh, vestibulo-ocular reflex uh, the vsr the vestibulospinal reflex um, gate test gate testing yeah um, examining the ear just looking at it for physical inspection or physical infection uh, or inflammation um, hearing and discrimination using the tuning fork all those good things that they do when they're doing a physical exam. Didn't you say that your wife was talking to you about the, I think it was the hall pike maneuver? Yeah, doing maneuvers to test and then also maneuvers to um, potentially fix or relieve. Yeah. Uh, I think they call that, what do they call that? Vestibular rehabilitation. Yeah. Different than normal physical therapy, um, but something that you, that maneuvers you can perform in office, primary care docs can perform in office that often uh, can, re- can you know, resolve the issue. One of the ones I saw when we were kind of looking at some of this, and I don't know how often this is actually done. I just love the name of it. called the head shake test. <laughs> yep. Uh, the examiner vigorously shakes the patient's <laughs> head in a horizontal plane from side to side, 15 to, 10 to 15 seconds. You dizzy now? You dizzy yeah. now, huh? How about now? <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I'm sure that's useful, but it just seems like a weird thing. I just love how they just, well, we can call this thing. Now I want I you just, to take this bat and I want head you to shake p- put it on your forehead. Like if my daughter was doing that, I'd be like, "Oh no, <laughs> do a quack job." <laughs> but head shake test. The head shake test. It's classic. Oh man, that's what I do, and you know, people ask me if I can fill their prescriptions, you know, three months early because of the because <laughs> of the head um, shake test. Yeah, absolutely not because <laughs> of the coronavirus. Of corona? Head shake test. Yeah, well, three months early. We're not even there yet. It's been my whole about? life dizzy in the pharmacy. Yeah, now. I cannot do that. <laughs> So you want to go into some of the medications that can treat some of the, at least the symptoms of? Sure. Yeah. You ready for that? You got something else before, Sam? No, we can do that. I'll come back to a couple things, but yeah. Let's okay. go ahead. What's, what um, we got? I, so I, I guess the first thing I always think of is antivert, right? Yeah. Meclizine. So meclizine. And as well as that, they, they also have um, even the, like the first generation, if you will, like the antihistamine. So um, diphenhydramine can be used to Benadryl, but also the one that we kind of probably always think about the Dramamine, the original Dramamine, which was um, diamond hydronate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Diphenhydramine is one of those that's, you know, and same with diphenhydramine. It, it can help in some cases. It was it's been around for a long time, uh, and it can help with the dizziness, but however, all the different adverse effects that come about with it, yeah. you know, that we always think about with those. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting with, like, diphenhydramine, or I'm sorry, with um, diminhydronate, the dramamine, is that it's actually like a combination. So it's, a, it's actually a salt form, and it's a like almost a one-to-one ratio of diphenhydramine of Benadryl and then this other thing called um, chloral theophylline chloral theophylline and so it was supposed originally kind of I found an article from like 1951 that was talking about the mm. research they were doing with it. Had articles back then? I guess. And uh, this might be scanned Carved in. into stone? Scanned in. I don't know. But um, what they were showing was that basically the um, the blockade you get from the histamine on the histamine receptor from the diphenhydramine um they were trying to offset the like drowsiness and whatnot by giving this other chloro um, theophylline aspect which has more like um anti-cholinergic effects they were trying to get like a stimulant effect out of it but that's where there's been case reports of showing like paradoxical agitation mm-hmm, yeah. um with that drug and so they've uh, that's actually what that's stemming from is that other drug that's in you know, combined with it to, to form the hmm. actual Dramamine. Interesting. So, yeah, so the people who are like, yeah, Benadryl doesn't make me tired. It makes me jump off the yeah, walls. Yeah, they're just getting a higher dose. Like, their, their body's reacting more on that CNS stimulation. Interesting. Um, the other thing is I actually didn't realize that was a drug that some people abuse. Like um, Benadryl? No, uh, Dramamine. Like, oh, Dramamine? They, um, they apparently kids will, I don't know, I'm assuming mostly kids. <laughs> um, I um, the uh, but kids are like, will take this and use it as a um, like a delirient and uh, kind of like other things like robo tripping and things like that. They'll right. get over the counter meds. They they I was looked up some of the nicknames. Um, they call it things like substance D or D house <laughs> or DQ. D house. Um, DQ. I'm like then I realized like how I don't know just not with it I am because if I. If, he did if that, I was in high school and somebody was like, yo, you want to do some DQ? I'd be like, let's get I'd be some like, ice I actually cream. love ice cream. Let's yeah. do this right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I was one of the cool kids. <laughs> you, you weren't down with the D-House? I was not doing D-House that I knew. I didn't even know it was a thing. The only thing I will say about Benadryl is you can't be dizzy while you're sleeping. So True. Yeah. yeah. But that is how, I mean, that's how it works. It has its central anticholinergic activity. So it's diminishing that vestibular stimulation, depressing the labyrinthine function and uh yeah you know less dizziness less vertigo can't be dizzy while you're asleep there you go but of course uh, benadryl is going to be on your beers list and um most all of these that we're about to talk about are going to be on your beers list so if you have patients complaining of let's say memory disorders take a look at their meds and see if they've been put on one of these because they were dizzy at one point and you know that can contribute to that mm-hmm. and i mean just the um, CNS depressant um, portion of it can put them at more of a risk for falling than maybe even the vertigo does. So, you know, risk benefit with these things. But yeah, meclizine uh, would be probably next. Both of these you can get over the counter. Uh, meclizine decreases the excitability of the inner ear. Labyrinth as well blocks conduction of inner ear vestibular cerebral pathways. So basically just diminishing that vestibular response too. Similar thing. But it was branded under antivert. Antivert, yeah. Also have uh, scopolamine. The uh, is it an anticholinergic that is sometimes used. You see this a lot of times as the patch, and they'll use that in um, like um, cruises, cruises, and which such, nobody's yes. going on now. Yeah, 
definitely uh, could have gone on a hundred and fifty dollar cruise to you know, like Alaska or something. You probably get some really cheap cruises right now. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. I haven't looked, um, but uh, yeah, they use it in motion sickness. Um, it, there's you know, as far as things like um, vestibular neuritis um, and things like that, it, because it's got such a slow onset of action, it's probably not going to be good in a lot of those types of things. Um, but in theory, there are you know patients that will get put on this for to try to help with some of the symptoms, but probably not one of the better options. Yeah, um, kind but, of a slow onset. Yeah, and you're not going to get nearly as much of the... Um, I shouldn't say nearly as much. You're not going to get in theory as much of the sedation and some of that stuff as you would like a straight up Benadryl. Right. Um, but yeah, very yeah. slow onset. Slow onset. It antagonizes the actions of histamine and serotonin. Um, but I mean, basically they would recommend something like glycopyrrolate um, mm-hmm. over scopolamine. So glycopyrrolate blocks the action of acetylcholine at the parasympathetic sites. Uh, it's branded under Robinol. But that is another option. Um, it works centrally, and um, you know can help with vertigo. Yep. Benzos. Yeah, you ever gonna give this for dizziness and vertigo, man? Golly. Yeah, I don't. I would have a hard time <laughs> justifying that when I'm in. Again, I'm by no means a specialist in this area, but uh, I guess I guess in a way, if it's a if it's stemming from like true anxiety maybe um yeah, if it's anxiety or if like it's that. um some other you know, if it's like i don't know some other more significant disease than something that's you know benign i suppose or if you've tried other things and especially if i guess if the person's tried multiple agents and they're also you know vomiting or something like that with the vertigo um maybe it'd be an option that just for a short term to see I if actually it helps. i have seen patients who they have vertigo they have anxiety and like it results in like cyclic vomiting syndrome mm-hmm. and so they they're like giving they have like diastat because yeah. um they have cyclic vomiting syndrome from their vertigo and dizziness um so yeah i have actually seen severe cases of it where that would be warranted so yeah not out of the question but i would definitely say um hold hold off on that until you know for sure you need to use that especially not like a long-term thing in most cases yep also phenothiazine derivatives like finergan and prochlorpyrazine options um, so finnegan promethazine it's an antidopaminergic um, probably more for the nausea associated with the vertigo than the actual vertigo um, but you know glycopyrrolate is probably safer than that and has less adverse effects yeah prochlorperazine um, is one of those weird drugs that like we don't hardly ever see anymore unless it's being used for something like you know vomiting from a migraine or right. something like that um, yeah, same kind of thing. It's depressing the reticular activity system, that blocking that postsynaptic mesolimbic dopamine receptor. Um, so yeah, another, uh, what, isn't that the drug they also use for like hiccups? Isn't that the, is that the one? off-label use? It might be. I know there is one. I'm not sure what it is though. Um, I, I feel like that's it. I might not be right. I'm not going to look it up right now. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, again, I think, you know, with all the side effects and things like that, that you still got to be kind of cautious with those too yeah all of these are going to be pretty sedating um yeah if you're elderly and you have vertigo and dizziness um more of a tough situation for Mm -hmm. sure yeah what else you got what other treatment options um i saw something about ephedrine yeah i saw that too stimulating um release of epinephrine stores uh, alpha and beta alpha and beta receptors i don't know i don't know about that one yeah i think you'd have to be real careful with that one as far as 
you know, blood pressure and things like that. Um, right. I'd have to see some stuff. I have, I didn't look in depth into that one as far as like studies or anything. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess maybe I've seen, um, low doses of, uh, Elevil used as well. Um, but yeah, there's, I feel like the antihistamines, anticholinergics are the ones that are going to be the most commonly used at least, you know, at first and, and for, uh, until they can figure out exactly what's going on. Right. And it, you know, depends on the cause. So going back to vestibular neuritis, neuronitis a little bit, um, it's the most common cause of acute vertigo incidence of about 170 cases per hundred thousand people. Um, sometimes it can even be, uh, reactivated by herpes mm-hmm. simplex virus if you have HSV. Um, but a brief course of antiemetics, uh, vestibular suppressants can usually kind of handle it, but also corticosteroids. So they will prescribe um, steroids in that case for the, the neuronitis. And I think, um, the, and I think some cases they'll even use like, um, fludrocortico, uh, or fludrocortisone with its mineral corticoid mm-hmm. activity as well. Yeah. Um, and particular, you know, with, with that, if that's the, what they're actually treating with it. And, um, uh, I've even seen in that particular case when they know that it's stemming from a viral infection, they'll suppress it with acyclovir mm-hmm. and things like that in the short term. And, uh, yeah, so that's something I like treating the underlying condition, I think is always going to be the main focus. Um, another drug that they'll use sometimes that we didn't talk about is also, um, metoclopramide, Reglan. Yeah. Uh, this is one of those that, you know, it's decreasing like gastric motility and you'll see this sometimes used in like gastroparesis and things like that but that's one of those drugs that it actually can cause like eps yeah i was gonna say yeah um i definitely would not recommend that long term yeah um, at all so make sure that uh if it's if it's you're gonna use something like that it's it's short term if possible right um but yeah that's one of those drugs that i think it's been around for a long time but not probably a great option eps is not fantastic um, and they, they may even use something like Zofran as well. Yeah. Um, not a lot For of... For like the antimetic portion. Yeah. Um, th- that's something you'll see pop up in those lists of vertigo treatments to, to treat some of the... To block some of that serotonin as well as treat the nausea and stuff. I found more about the maneuvers. So it is it is in BPPV, uh, whereas the maneuvers are most effective. Um, they call them canalith repositioning. Uh from the affected canal back to the vestibule where it is absorbed using the most common maneuvers. So the maneuvers options are Epley, Cement, Limpert, and Hamid. Hamid for horizontal uh, canal. Capulolithiasis. And I believe the Epley maneuver, that's the one I'm more um, familiar with, but the Epley maneuver um, can be done in office. Uh, and um, once the history and examination confirmed the diagnosis of BPPV, definitely something you can try. And, um, you know, keep them off medication, get it done right then and there, bada bang, bada boom, you know, <laughs> as they say, yeah, as I say. So, yeah, that's just a couple quick reviews of, uh, treatment options and all that fun stuff. Yeah. That is, you know, vertigo and dizziness. And there you go. There you have it. You got everything you need. Uh, <laughs> I would encourage you to do a lot more research Yeah, and especially if the, uh, going through the diagnostic tests and stuff like that interests you. There's a lot of good resources out there. Medscape has a lot of good articles. It's definitely the hardest part, which we're not experts in, is just figuring out the underlying cause. But at least now you're aware of some of the the underlying causes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There you go. We do what we can. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, But uh, anything else on this you want to talk about? That's all I got, man. Cool. We figured this would be a short episode. 
but we'll uh, we'll try to. We had a slow start to the month, so we're hoping to get a couple more Crank out, out a few pretty, more, yeah. pretty quick and uh, get caught back up. But um, yeah, if you guys have any specific topics or anything you want to hear, let us know. Um, we'll put it on the short list that we have already started and um, hopefully get it out in the next month or two. And uh, also, one of the things we always bring up, like reaching out to us on social media or, you know, whatever, Instagram. Um, one of the things we're going to ask you to do is a favor to us. If you use YouTube at all, um, we're really trying to grow, grow our, basically our subscriber mm-hmm. list on YouTube. Um, YouTube will give you special tools and stuff that you can use once you reach a, reach a certain level of um, subscribers. So if you enjoy this podcast at all, um, we promise not to like to bombard you with nonsense on YouTube, but if you could subscribe to us on YouTube, that would help us out a ton. We would greatly appreciate it. Believe it or not, we do videotape most all the episodes. We sit here with a camera in front of us. Yeah, it's weird. For those of you who had no idea. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So if you could subscribe to us, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, It would help us out. And uh, hopefully this year, the plan is to actually go really hardcore into the video um, versions of it. So we're going to get Unless you think that just like seeing what we look like would just totally ruin it, would ruin everything. Yeah. You're not going to like it. Yeah. (laughs) Might not be for you. But um, still subscribe though. Just don't watch the videos. Just don't look at us. Just put a put a yeah, put a just watch like hit play. Uh huh. But then put a little black piece of paper right in front of the video. Wow. And just listen to it. Yeah. And subscribe. I feel like Cole has a very self loathing <laughs> attitude towards the way we look, but it's fun. Um so yeah, uh, that would help us out a lot. And we got some cool stuff coming out with video. Like I was saying, um, we're going to hopefully have multiple camera angles and some showing references on the screen and stuff like that. We just have to get some very expensive equipment first. So we're <laughs> we're putting that um, hopefully on the list this year that we're going to get knocked out. So um, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you do need anything, reach out to us on email or any of the social media platforms. And we will catch you next time. Later.